welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party where we take a look at all the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm a scenery chomping John. And today we are going to be discussing the movies which were released on December 2nd, 1994. Woohoo! December 2nd. Yes. Yeah. Only three movies released this week. Historically speaking, in these first two weeks of the year, first week of December in particular is pretty boring, pretty bland. All of the big movies came out in November in order to take advantage of the long weekend with Thanksgiving. And now most of those are still the things that people are going to see. And there might be just a few little things here and there which are being released in that second week or I'm sorry, in that first week of December, uh, just because there's an empty slot. For example, this week, December 6th, 2019, mm-hmm. the two big movies are Dark Waters. Dark Water? Is it Dark Water or Dark Waters? I do Whatever. not know. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> and uh, Playmobil, the movie. So, you know. You know, it's really Playmobil, the movie. Like, I... I hmm. I get it. I'm sure they're going to have fun with it. I'm sure it'll be, you know, perfectly harmless, fun entertainment or whatever. But it's it's sort of like making a GoBots movie. It's mm-hmm. like we, we have Transformers and you can rationalize Transformers having a movie. But like GoBots, come on. Let's just let's just there, not do there that. There are people who really love GoBots, you know. And I know. I don't know. A lot of people that love a lot of crazy things. But, you know, I don't know. They got Harry Potter as the voice of the main character and everything. It looks like kind of like a spy thing. Expecto Blocktronum, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, back in 1994, there were three movies released in the first week of December. December 2nd, the first movie... What it didn't, I couldn't even find any box office info about it for the opening week, but it had a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, which makes me not being able to find any box office info that much more confusing. Yeah, that that movie is Cobb. That is really weird. I mean, here's the thing about it it made in total about a million dollars at the box office. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even released overseas. And that blows my mind because I remember this movie coming out. Yeah, I mean, I can see it not being a box office hit, but like 65%, you know, that's not like it's being panned by the critics and you've got like a big name star who just won an Oscar, you know, earlier this year. And it's got, you know, I I mean, it's a recognizable character and it's from the director of Bull Durham, which is another beloved baseball movie. It seems strange to me 
that this movie completely bombed. It was also, uh, you know, I mean, I remember the buildup to it. It was basically Oscar bait. You know, yeah. it was, it, it was, yeah, it, it was released sort of the same way that, um, although this wasn't Oscar bait, uh, but a similar sort of vibe from, uh, there was that Denzel Washington movie, John Q, that got released um, that was, you know, that was sort of like hard on the heels of all of the buzz for uh, training day. And it's like they were basically able to transfer a lot of that buzz over. But there was also a lot of talk about how great Denzel Washington was in that movie. And so but Cobb was supposed to be like this big baseball epic. This is, you know, almost like um, almost like unforgiven for real history where it was like yeah. this is this is revisionist baseball and, you know, giving you the true lowdown on your heroes sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I was into baseball a lot at the time, but I was a little too young to see the movie. And, you know, it was one of those things where I remember it coming out and being like, oh, Cobb and like telling like my dad, who's a huge baseball fan, you know, like this movie Cobb is coming out. And he was like, yeah, I don't care. You know, and I think part of it is because, you know, Ty Cobb was such a jerk. Everybody hates him. Right. Yeah. Um, I think another part of it is probably because it's about a time in Cobb's life after he's in baseball. So there's probably not that much baseball in it, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you watched this movie? I did. I, I didn't see it at the time. I watched it for this. And yeah, it's point of attack is really interesting. And I did do a little bit of uh, reading on it beforehand. And uh, what, what was it they said about Squanto, a warrior's tale where they were like it, and historically inaccurate retelling, and I read about how the book that this is based on, and the author of that book, who's played by Robert Wall in this movie, and the guy wrote the screenplay, or at least had a hand in it, like, people started doing digging, and the book is not accurate. Like, it, it's yeah. full of a lot of fantasy, basically. And um, so, it's, you know, I think it, it had some ill will going against it there. Yeah, I I heard my wife was saying that the the writer of the book got into some trouble at some point along the way too. I don't know if it was for this or something else, but for some you know fabricated stories or whatever, some journalism that may not have been completely uh, on the level. I don't know exactly what it was. Sort of like he, he was Glass. in trouble for yeah. something. Sort of like Stephen Glass, yeah. Jason Blair sort of stuff. Where uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, it's, you know, it's it's weird because, I mean, here's the other thing about it, which is like, you know, they say, you know, based on the book by, right? But then at the end of the movie, they say like, well, he wrote the book to be what Cobb wanted it to be, which is not what we're seeing on the screen. So it's almost right. like this is... I mean, it's weird for one thing to have a movie which is about the writing of a book that it's based on, but also if that's not what the book is about, then is it really based on that book? No. I don't know. No. It's weird. trying to have your cake and eat it too, and it just doesn't work. It just really doesn't work uh, um, it, from that aspect. But like, if, have you seen the movie? Did you watch it for this or have you seen it before? Yeah, I, I yeah. did watch it for this. I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. I'm curious as to what you thought of it, uh, because I know what I thought of it, but I'm very curious as to what you thought of it. Well, first of all, 
if you rent this on iTunes, at least it's in the wrong aspect ratio. Yep. So that's yes. fun. <laughs> but yeah. if we look beyond and the transfer is terrible, yep. but if we look beyond that, um, I, yeah, I, I didn't think it was very good. I mean, I, I was, I was really anticipating this one because I like Ron Shelton as a director and I, I like baseball and I didn't really know much about Ty Cobb aside from the fact that everybody hated him because he was so vicious, you know? Yeah. Um, he was like someone who, uh, like they say in the, in the, movie like is known for sharpening his spikes and everything and i mean i don't know how much of that is true but certainly that reputation comes from somewhere right yeah so you know but at the same time he's a really great baseball player and it's it's just one of those weird those weird things um the you, you you look at the poster for this, like, and I vividly remember the poster, which is just like a headshot, like a, an extreme close-up of Tommy Lee Jones, like smoking a cigar. And you think, oh, you know, this is going to get, you know, really deep into the psychology of this guy and everything like that. And then you see it. And I mean, this whole movie seems to kind of like hinge on, Tommy Lee Jones's performance, right? Mm -hmm. And like, <laughs> like I remember when I was, you know, 15 years old and, you know, a huge fan of The Fugitive. And I heard that Tommy Lee Jones was cast as Two Face mm -hmm. in Batman Forever. Yeah. And I was like, that is great casting. Like, he is going to completely nail that role i can mm. definitely see him as two-face that's going to be epic right mm -hmm. and then the movie comes out and basically he's just trying to out jim carrey jim carrey and you can't yeah. out jim carrey jim carrey so why are you even trying right yep. this movie seems like he's doing the same thing he's going and and i guess i didn't realize this I, I should have but this is something that tommy lee jones does i mean he did it in natural born killers and it makes sense in that movie right because that movie is completely insane and everything in that is like that right that completely over the top performance and he does it in batman forever which okay that movie's kind of like that too this movie is not like that Really? I mean, yeah. there is a bit like the whole driving through the snowstorm thing. Right. But his performance in this is insane, it's completely over the top, larger than life. And I mean, yeah, maybe that's a reflection on the character of Ty Cobb. But geez, bring it back just a little bit so that we can actually believe that this is a person and not a cartoon. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally do. I I. I think that the first hour of this is uh, an experience of what the hell is happening because I, you know, your, your reference to two faces spot on because that was, there, there's some scene where he's yelling at Robert wall. And I, I, all I could think of was, you know, blind stinking doodah luck. And I was like, Oh, I'm, it, wait, Batman forever comes out next year. But, mm -hmm. um, then there's this span in the back half of the movie that sort of tones it does tone it down. It's, it, it's almost, it's almost an odd experience. I have a great affection for the movie Carlito's way, but 
one thing that's very notable about that movie is Pacino is really, you can tell how he's, when his head space is in the the acting, you know, when, he, when he's got his, you know, head in the acting game sort of thing, or even with Heat, right? You can tell what's filmed earlier and what's filmed later because, like, the later stuff is all really subtle, great Pacino, well done for a man film sort of thing. And then there are a couple of other scenes peppered throughout where he's like, give me all you got! Give me all you got! <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, this is like the first day of shooting or something. But the whole first hour is like that for Tommy Lee Jones in this. But then it does sort of even out a little bit. It gets a little more interesting. And then it just sort of like completely fumbles the ending. And it's like, oh, well, okay, all the goodwill is gone at this point. So, all right, fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a, a critic here in Chicago who says that, you know, Al Pacino, his style of acting is just to pick a random word and choose to yell it out, you know, like it doesn't uh-huh. matter what word it is, just some random word in a sentence. And he yells it. And <laughs> I mean, that can work well at times. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in any given Sunday, it's it's perfect. Yes. And I mean, there's even like a moment or two like that in uh, I Heard You Paint Houses or uh, The Irishman or whatever yeah, you want to call it. But it works because those scenes are all all where like he's either yelling at somebody or he's giving like a campaign speech sort of thing, running for you know president yeah. of the Teamsters or something. And the rest of the stuff is like really good performance, you know, going on. Like he's, you know, I know we're talking about Cobb, but Al Pacino really sort of steals the Irishman out from underneath oh, yeah. everybody. He's the best part, by, yeah, by far, hands down. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I just don't know if Tommy Lee Jones can't be direct. Like, in a sense, <clears throat> it removes the excuse for the way he behaves on screen in uh, Batman Forever. Because it's always been the mm-hmm. fallback that, oh, he was competing with Jim Carrey. But you watch Cobb, which came out earlier, and like, no, this just comes naturally to him. This is just yeah. where he is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's really good when he's on. You know, I mean, obviously, The Fugitive, like, that's probably mm-hmm. the best, right? That I yeah. can think of. But, Well, it's yeah. the best that I've um, seen. I haven't seen all of his movies, but it's, it's the best one that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, other things like No Country for Old Men or whatever, but mm. yeah, The Fugitive. Also true. Like, yeah, he is great in No Country. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's weird. But this movie just didn't. I mean, it's not just that. I mean, the whole thing is over the top. I mean, the entire time. And again, I, I don't know. Maybe this is how it was or maybe this is, you know, but like this dude's constantly like firing off like, like a handgun. Like to the point that you you don't even you're not even shocked by it, you know. When you get to yeah. the end, it just it's just something that they're doing, and it's like, what's going on, you know? And why are we watching this? I, I don't know. You know, there, it, it did not work for me. There's it, also oh, oh, I mean, look, I, I, I'm trying to take nothing away from the guy. He'll always be Alexander Knox to me, in mm-hmm. you know 1989's Batman, but. I don't think that Robert Wall has what's necessary to be the the glue for a story like this. Like he he I he can't hold this picture together. And you need somebody in that role that's going to hold the whole picture together. And um I don't think he manages it. I also think, you know, to call even more of that stuff about, you know, what's historically accurate and what isn't anything where he's not present for it. Is so obviously it has to be some sort of fabrication because it's yeah. like you weren't there. How would you know? 
And I'm referring in specific to the scene with um, Lolita Davidovich in the hotel room, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I. It's really weird because it's very easy for people nowadays to say, oh, well, you know, people were okay. That What happens in that scene is so uncomfortable and Cobb is so unrepentant and all of those things that you like you see that and it's not like the guy has changed like he was an a-hole and he changed this is evidence that he never changed and so it's a lot harder at the end of the film to be like well you know we're all complex people and it's like mm, he seems to be worse than most people and he hasn't learned anything by the end yeah. of his life sort of thing you know no yeah i mean that's definitely true i mean like the whole time when they're going through at the end and they're like well you know i'm not gonna say this because you know it, it's it, it would it would make him feel bad essentially right and it's yeah. like what you know what yeah. what are you talking about like this is not you know a, a redeemable character really it's not every everybody yeah. hates him for a reason so and and that's what the movie portrays, you know, and, and it's like, I, I can't feel sympathy for Ty Cobb. I'm sorry. No, just, there, there's there's can't. nothing in the movie that makes you believe that he would, even if you were to extend that forgiveness, if you would, to him, that he would, number one, accept it or understand why he needed to change. Like, there's nothing about him that indicates that. So, mm-hmm. except they, yeah. they shoehorn in some scene where like, you know, they visit a house and, oh, that's my daughter. No, she says you're not your, she's not your daughter. Oh, okay. It's like, eh. yeah. Mm. You know, it's, it's like, it's even that. It's like, oh, his daughter won't talk to him. No, that's, that's good. Good for her, you know? Right. Yeah. Good for her. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but whatever, Cobb. Okay. So, still surprising to me that, that it only, made a million dollars at the box office. Uh, so yeah, whatever. It was funny. I was looking at like, you know, awards and nominations and the Chicago film critics nominated, uh, Tommy Lee Jones for best actor or whatever. Um, not a single other organization nominated for anything. So I thought that was amusing, yeah. but whatever <laughs> way to go Chicago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, next up, Number 13 at the box office with $35,000 and a 31% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, Tom and Viv. Yeah. Uh, This is a movie starring Willem Dafoe as T.S. Eliot. And uh, it's about his relationship with his wife, I guess. I'm not really up on T.S. Eliot uh, mythology. But, yeah. He wrote what um, Cats is based on. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So so he will be responsible for a cinematic nightmare uh, coming soon. You never know. It could be good. I, I'm sure it'll sound wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are excited for it. I'm glad that they are. I bear no yeah. ill will toward anybody that is excited for Cats in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Miranda Richardson plays Viv. So, uh, yeah. Um, and Rosemary Harris, who plays uh, 
Aunt May. Is, is they got two people from Spider-Man in this. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Directed by Brian Gilbert. Not really familiar with his other work. Yeah, same. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about this movie, really. Nominated for two Oscars. Um, Best Actress for Miranda Richardson hmm. and Best Supporting Actress for Rosemary Harris. So okay. there you go. Yeah, I uh, I did not manage to get around uh, to this film because uh, aside from Cobb, I did watch I Heard You Paint Houses. And if you commit to a two and a half and a three and a half hour movie, you're not going to have time for Tom and Viv. <laughs> it happens. It yeah. happens. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, two Oscar nominations for acting in a movie that, you know, critics didn't like. So good for them. Yeah. Yeah. And the top movie for the week coming in at number seven at the box office with $3.4 million and 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, Trapped in Paradise. I'm good. (laughs) But it's got Nicolas Cage in it. That's true. But honestly, 1994 will always be the uh, year of deadfall. And um, I mean, honestly, how can you really, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I think the next interesting Nicolas Cage performance would be uh, what? Uh, well, I mean, gosh, he'll have um, he'll have Con Air in his future. He'll have The Rock in his future. He'll have Leaving Man. Las Vegas in his future. So uh, 94, I already got the great Nicolas Cage performance. So I'm good. Did you watch it? No, I didn't. Um, the 10% didn't inspire a lot of confidence in me. I mean, I appreciate the fact that it's a Christmas movie and, you know, I'm into that. Um, but, you know, it's about people who rob a bank in a small town and then they can't get out of the town. And then the town, like, invites them into their lives and shares, you know, thing. it's kind of like the Grinch, you know? Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Except with bank robbery. Yeah. Yeah. But this is interesting. And I'm just putting the pieces together now here. Uh-oh. Okay. So it's Nicolas Cage, John Lovitz, and Dana Carvey. Yeah. And the movie was written and directed by George Gallo, who George Gallo was one of the writers on Bad Boys. He's the creator of Bad Boys, right? He wrote the original script. Okay. And then someone, you know, three other people rewrote it. But he came up with the original idea for Bad Boys. And originally, Bad Boys was designed as a vehicle for John Lovitz and Dana Carvey. Oh, wow. That's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. Would have been a different movie. Slightly. Would have been probably a terrible movie. Probably. Probably And since this guy wrote it, chances are he was planning on directing it with the two of them. I mean, because it only came out a few months after this. Wow. So. All right. So he loses bad boys and brings them into Trapped in Paradise. And cinematic history is made. Well, maybe maybe that's what it is. Or maybe he had such a great relationship with them on this that he's like, I want you to be in bad boys. I have a feeling that probably, you know what? Does it matter? It doesn't matter. (laughs) I remember the ads for this, though. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, John Lovitz is a guy who I, he's funny enough that I see his name in the credits and I'll at least consider seeing the movie that he's in. 
But uh, I guess after City Slickers 2, I uh, was Lovitzed out. Mm. So, you know, John Lovitz didn't have a great film career. He was in Coneheads, which was awful. He was in City Slickers 2, which was awful. He was in Trapped in Paradise, which I haven't seen, but based on the reviews, wasn't particularly good. Um, so, yeah. Tough he was around. in a league of their own. Never saw it. Really? I know, I know right? Unbelievable, isn't it? I, uh, it I, I know, is unbelievable. I know certain bits from it. I know some Tom Hanks stuff from it uh, because he was still a comedic actor. That was right before he became serious actor Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. I should see it. I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, you'd like it. it. Yeah. It's one that you can uh, you can watch with the kids. It's it's PG, so yeah. Yeah, it's, but so uh, is James Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. This is this <laughs> is you know. There's there's maybe a few little innuendos, but yeah, no. You could you could, you could show this to the kids. Right. And and uh, they're they're turning it into a TV show on Amazon Prime too. So they're turning everything into a TV show on Amazon Prime. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It actually was a TV show back in the day. Um, I believe Penny Marshall was involved with that too. Um, it only lasted for two episodes. It was a sitcom on CBS. Oh, oh I remember the ads for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was back when I was super confused because I didn't realize how things worked. I was like, why isn't Tom Hanks in this? This weird. Because <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. afford Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing about uh, Trapped in Paradise, you know, it was edited by Terry Rawlings, who edited Alien and Blade Runner. So, I don't know. Maybe that's worth checking Some, out. Sometimes I wonder with editors, because, you know, see those names pop up, where it almost seems like it's uh, when a lawyer does pro bono work. Like it's man, yeah. like the union is like, you know, you got to go work on that one. It's like, all right, fine, <laughs> fine. But I get another masterpiece after this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think you, you got freelance stuff if you, you know, yeah. but I don't know. You know, it, it also, it was photographed by Jack N. Green, who was uh, um, Clint Eastwood's cinematographer, did things like Unforgiven as well as Twister. So, so, and Serenity. So the question is, well, wait, which Serenity did he do? Did he do the Matthew <laughs> McConaughey Serenity? No, no, he no, did well, the Joss Whedon <laughs> Serenity. I have no, n please. He should have done the interesting Serenity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if the, if the other one is interesting. I think it's just um, fascinating. To Whedon did his best. But, you know, the Matthew McConaughey, uh, Anne Hathaway Serenity is, that's truly, that's a deep, deep film. I, I encourage everybody to go out and watch it. There you go. I encourage everyone to watch it, too. Yes. Can't be any worse than Trapped in Paradise, right? It, well, okay. I'll stick with that. I will, I'll agree with you there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so that's it for the week. Uh, pretty light. Um, but I would say Cobb is the only one that we watch, so but we wouldn't recommend it. So take we'd the say, week off. We'd say go watch Tom and Viv and tell us what you thought. Yeah, there you go. There yeah. you go. Um, next week, 
it's another slow week, but there's a couple, a couple which are, you know, decent, decent yeah. at least, um, in terms of box office. I mean, the three movies are Queen Margot, Drop Zone, and Disclosure. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I saw one so of those a- in the movie theater. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm guessing it's probably Drop Zone. Nope. Hmm. Interesting. There you go. And I guess it was Queen Margot. <laughs> Seems like me, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, well, we'll tackle those next time. But until then, John, where can people find you on the internet? Look for Kessel Junkie on the internet. K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. I'm on Twitter more than I should be. And you can also find me writing my reviews of things like I Heard You Paint Houses over on Letterboxd. And you can find me right here, if you have a hankering for Star Wars talk, on a show called Aggressive Negotiations, which is uh, right here on the Nerd Party Network that I co-host with Matthew Rushing. And uh, Mike, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage. And you can find me on uh, Trek.fm, doing a show called Tracks on the Line and Tracks from the Edge. And you can also find me very soon, December 14th or 15th, on talk film society on a show called Bayhem where we're going to be talking about all of Michael Bay's movies, including bad boys. So uh, be sure to check that out. Yeah. 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 So that's it for December 2nd. We're we're coming up very, very quickly on the end of the year. And uh, yeah, it's exciting times. Thrilling times. Thrilling. Yeah. Need to see about catching up on some of the stuff that that I missed. I don't know, like Hoop Dreams, Leon, mm, and uh, and uh, be on the lookout because uh, we have a super secret lost episode that will be uh, unleashed sometime between now and the end of the year. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, special bonus episode for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So until then, be kind. Rewind. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.